Hello and welcome to All the Best Bits in which we do audio commentaries for the films that we picked our best bits from throughout the season. I'm Will and I've been joined by my co-host Kevin. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing good and I'm looking forward to this one because it's the dead of summer. It's so hot and this film is icy, icy cold and I'm hoping it will cool me down. Wouldn't that be nice? That's a lovely, that's a lovely way of thinking of it, isn't it? In a hot summer, this is a perfect film to watch in a hot summer. And the <laughs> film, of course, is Fargo from 1996. Not the TV series, it is the original feature film written and directed by the Coen brothers. And we're going to do our audio commentary. And what we're doing is, as we've explained on other audio commentaries, Kevin and myself have, are, are syncing up our copies of the film. And we'd like you to do the same thing if you uh, if you have the ability to do so. You can just listen to us without syncing up and watching the film. I'm sure we will descend into the same level of insanity uh, regardless. Um, so where we're syncing up is on the Polygram Filmed Entertainment Ident logo, uh, which is about you know, 17, 18 seconds in. So if you just want to scrub your track along to that point or you know fast forward and hit pause we'll wait for you don't worry we're here we're supping our teas and just melting <laughs> oh you're back kevin are you synced up you are aren't you i am let's go for it okay on now this time we got to remember to hit play at the same time because <laughs> i think one, there was one there's one occasion where we didn't hit play at the same time but i think anyway it worked out fine so I'll count this in, all right? And in three, two, one, play. I hope. Play. <laughs> there we go. Uh, okay. So the first intriguing thing about this is I love this. It says, this is a true story. The events depicted in this film took place in Minnesota, Minnesota in 1987. At the request of the survivors, the names have been changed. Out of respect for the dead, the rest has been told exactly as it occurred. Which is Bullshit. bullshit. but it's not totally bullshit because there are elements these sort of crimes did happen there's like there was a case in Minnesota of a husband trying to get his wife kidnapped and then there was another case of money being buried out in in the snow and stuff like that and it's not total total bullshit but I love the fact that they did this because there's an absurdity ballsy. to this film. It's ballsy. But I think narratively it's good, right? Uh, because there's an absurdity to this film where things happen, where it, it doesn't follow the, let's say, the conventional rules of screenwriting on a number of, a number of ways. Yeah. But because we have this, this is a true story, you, we have, as an audience, tend to believe the unbelievable. Like, you know, we, we, we tend to believe Truth. things that, is stranger than fiction. There you go. That's exactly it. So everyone's watching this for the first time going, well, this is how it happened. And they take it for granted. Um, they take it. <laughs> I love the so. uh, font, the way that the um, they spaced out the titles. I love that weird... Uh, what would you call it? It's uh, kerning, the weird kerning that they use. Another thing I love about this film is the cinematography. Roger Deakins. Roger Effin Deakins. You beautiful man. 
He's got a really good podcast, actually. But don't listen to that. Listen to this. I didn't know this, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, him and his brother. Although I've never heard his brother on the podcast. It's it's always Roger and I believe it's his wife. The Deacon's podcast. Mm. I hope that it's a completely irrelevant podcast and as ridiculously silly as ours. No. That would make me feel good about myself. (laughs) Is it serious? It's very... um, it's very relaxing, actually. It's a good podcast. Oh, it's definitely okay. worth checking. I mentioned it on one of the episodes uh, f- because uh, Frances McDormand was on it, and she was singing the praises of editors. Oh, and she was saying that she yes. bases her decisions on one factor that I've not heard other uh, actors talk about, and that is who's editing the film. Uh, okay. Because she believes that film is an editor's medium, not a director's medium. And- and fun fact trivia for you right here. The Cone Brothers, the, the editor of this film is, wasn't the Cone Brothers. It was, well, it was actually the Cone Brothers, but they took a pseudonym. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. The, the, the pseudonym was nominated for an Oscar. And <laughs> so, and it didn't win. And yeah, yeah, the pseudonym was nominated for an Oscar. And it did, and well, it didn't win, thankfully. And, um, and the reason they took the pseudonym was because they just thought it was a little bit like the Vasanai case. Thought it was a bit too egotistical of them to just claim all the all the credits of this film. No, I, so we've I just been to... introduced to Jerry Lundegaard, yes. and and it's beginning right off the bat. It you know the, the crime is yes. afoot. Yes, it's no. wonderful. When you told me this film was what is it ninety eight minutes? Yeah, I thought that's very fleet. I th- I had a memory of this film being a typical two hour opus because so much goes on in it, but. Yeah. No, this film is brisk. It's, and yeah. It's tight. As, as you said, we're here. There, jury's in this, in this dive bar in Fargo, right? The, the crime doesn't happen. It's called Fargo, but like, there's Fargo and there's brain art, right? And, uh, Jerry's talking to Steve Buscemi and, and Stormer, is Peter Stormer. And, uh, I, <laughs> I love these characters. Steve Buscemi's character was written specifically for him. And I know that, um, William H. Macy, auditioned a few times for it but he knew that this was the he knew he was the person to to play this I couldn't part. imagine anyone else in this role although Martin Freeman and, is brilliant in the the series that the first two seasons of the Fargo TV series are really great like I loved both yeah. those series but uh, William H. Macy is this is one of those roles where it just fits an actor like a glove yeah apparently he he felt he was losing the role uh, this is when they were still casting and he flew out to New York where the Coen brothers were auditioning and he went up he went up and he told them you know I, I'm I, I, I'm worried about this movie because if you don't cast me in this role it's just not going to be right and if you cast someone else I will shoot your dog <laughs> he was joking when he said that but he did say it actors are psycho mm-hmm. well they, they have to be they do have to. I think Especially the in- these two, the um, Philip Lord, one of the uh, directors of the Lord and Miller um, duo, said, "Does this industry make people crazy, or are, or is this industry made up of crazy people?" So it's like chicken and egg thing. But ooh, it's hard to know, isn't it? It's like, are you drawn into make believe and telling stories because you're slightly nuts, or does the industry, with all of its crazy uh shite that goes on does that make you crazy and actors have well 
worse than most, I think. Yep. Yeah, Matt. And uh, and here we have what what we have is here is we have actors who are kind of playing slightly crazy characters. <laughs> I love Steve Buscemi. He sounds like a really sound fella in real life, and he was a he was of like um fireman. Uh, what was he? He was a fireman. Yeah, he was a fireman. And like, remember when when nine eleven happened? He went down to to, to like you know to ground zero. <laughs> Here's Jerry. I love. Okay, I'm sorry. I love. I haven't stressed. I've said it in our podcast. I love this this fucking film so much. And I love it about it because of the character. I love everything about his filmmaking, but the characterization is great. Jerry's coming into his house, and this is Jerry's father-in-law, and his father-in-law, yeah, he's, is dominating he's emasculated already. Yeah, completely emasculated, completely emasculated. And Jerry is such a wet blanket, and his wife, unfortunately, it feels like his wife doesn't respect him. Is she? And doesn't really have enough brain cells to kind of to compute what's going on. Yeah, she and should be the one that should be sticking up for him and saying to her dad, "Look, yeah. get out." Dad's still the dad. Jerry's kind of just slotted into this dynamic, <laughs> and the son has now fucked off. The son, who was a cheeky little shit, has fucked off to McDonald's, and the dad is the one who's actually putting manners and saying, "Don't you tell it." Isn't that son? He's basically the one who's kind of setting the rules around the place, and and Jerry Lundegaard is like just apathetic. He doesn't really care, but Jerry wants the deal. He wants. He's desperate to get this deal done. Right, and he's still talking to his father-in-law about getting money to get this big parking lot or whatever this development deal done. And oh, I I love this film so much, Kevin. I haven't said it before. I have said it before, but fucking, I love it so much. It's great. (laughs) Pace yourself. Uh, It gives me a real um, Ned Flanders vibe. Ned Flanders, if Ned Flanders was a homicidal, a a homicidal like sniveling. Fucking psychopath. This could work out real good for I don't think he's a he psychopath. Is. I don't think he's a psychopath. I just think he's a he's a guy that um just keeps fucking up. He just doesn't have. He's just not built to do what he's trying to pull off, and he just keeps making it worse for himself. He's and almost he's like um Adam Sandler's character from Uncut Gems. Just, but this is a much more enjoyable film than that. The Uncut Gems is really uh, deliberately aggravating. This is a pleasure to watch. This is a pleasure because there's a. Also, there's a, this. Also, you know, so we also have the criminals. Jury's not a smart criminal. These two guys aren't smart criminals, right? They'll prove they'll they'll prove by their actions that they're not smart criminals. Okay, and what's completely contradictory about this film? Is who do you think? Sorry, I'll ask. I'll frame it in a question to you, Kevin. Who do you think the main character of this film is? If you just flashed in your head. You thought about this. Who's the main character? If you just think about Fargo, I don't want you to analyze it. Who's the main character of this film? Um, the protagonist is probably Jerry, because he's the one that's I, causing everything to happen. Well done. That's absolutely right. Jerry is the protagonist of this film. This is me with my screen. Oh, and see the scene right now. Okay, sorry. I sorry to cut across you. So now Jerry's screwing over this lovely couple to try and upsell them for a true quote. And it's this scene happens to Ethan Cohn almost verbatim. He just took the scene down 
this probably inspired the character of Jerry Lundegaard. Which one was Ethan Cohen though? Was he the wife? <laughs> well, the actual fact, the the yeah, that's the wife. Yeah, the, she looks more like Ethan Cohen than the the husband right now. So Ethan Cohen was trying to he was being upselled <laughs> on a true coast. Yeah, and he thought, yep, this, this is guy this is delicious. Got to write this down. <laughs> what are all those awards? Are they for salesmanship? Oh, those things in the background. Yeah, not the uh, golf trophies. Oh, yeah, good question. I love... This is Jerry now saying, oh, I'm going to go talk to my boss. And he just walks into the other, into the other office and he says, We've all done it. For the weekend. We've all done it. <laughs> Let me just have a look in back. Uh, I'll just be two seconds. You just walk into the yeah. back and you wash your hands. You come back out. No, sorry, it's yeah. not in there. Uh, but I'll uh, I'll leave a note and uh, they'll give you... What's your number? Scribble, scribble, scribble. We'll give you a call if it comes in. Sit back down and just continue to watch Friends. You're a bald face liar. <laughs> Is this an extra vision, Kevin? <laughs> Where else? Best job I ever had. Where else? It's a pretty fun job, yeah. Actually, being a screenwriter is a dream come true. And you're not being, you're being sincere when you say that. <laughs> Welcome to Brainard. Brainard. Home, Home of Paul. Paul Bunyan. Blue Ox. Yeah, the film just... Oh, it's just so much style. Oh, oh, bit of blue. Blue. <laughs> yeah, but we're not getting to see anything. I know. Where are the... Where are the... I'm not going to say it. <laughs> don't say it, Kim. I have an aversion to that word, you know. I don't like that word. What word? I, well, I don't... I'm not I'm not going to say it. I just don't like... It just kind of... Do you know you ever have a word that just makes you go, Ugh, I don't really like that word. Yeah, notes. I'm talking about <laughs> that kid looks familiar. We've... Oh, wait, that kid. That is a good. He does look familiar. Orange juice. That would give you so much heartburn. Wow, I couldn't drink all that orange juice. And it's sunny delight, so his skin is going to turn orange. Do you remember when that came out? It, that the Sunny Delight came out over here and like in a specific summer, and everyone was it was like a big marketing push, and um, and everyone bought it and were drinking it by almost by the the liter. There were genuine cases of people's skins turning skin turning orange from Sunny Delight, and they pulled it from the shelves. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> this is allegedly allegedly, but oh, I actually yeah. believe that actually happened. So allegedly Jeez. it happened, but I'm pretty sure it did happen. I remember the uh, there used to be that chicken salt that you could put on your your food, and for a while everyone was buying that seasoning, the chicken seasoning, and then it got pulled for some reason. Apparently, it was incredibly bad for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> no, Jerry's after getting great news. Jerry's in great form because he's his dad his father-in-law has said come on in we'll do that deal after all my accountants after looking at it where my business partners looked at it so now Jerry's coming to Shep Proudfoot and he's saying hey Shep can we pull off can we can you call your buddies and tell them to cancel the the deal we made and poor old Shep is basically going to say nope <laughs> I can't can't help was, you there what was the budget of this film oh good question the production budget I I might be able to actually see it now in a second. I used to be able to... Because this is like a film that we should be able to make in Ireland. 
but it, I don't know whether it's deceptively well it is because it's a Hollywood film but it's deceptively high budget mm. you know they they would have had a, they would have had a decent budget for this because they would have because I'm just looking at this location and, and I'm like yeah they wouldn't even had we wouldn't even have had the, the opportunity to shoot there in, in an Irish film yeah they would have had they, they're the Corn Brothers and uh, they've been making successful films for over a decade at this stage so god yeah he would 1996 yeah mm-hmm. and like I said on the podcast I wasn't a huge fan of this uh, when it first came out not a huge fan but like all Corn Brothers films when they first come out I have this kind of like weird confusion about them I'm not going I don't know how I feel about this one but pretty much in every case when I go back and rewatch them I grow to love them more and more and more and um, the the ones that I don't particularly like are the out and out comedy ones but then when I say that I I realise that nearly all of their films are comedies but it, it like I really, really love Burn after reading, and I suppose that would even be classed as a comedy. But when when I say comedies, oh, I'm like um, Intolerable Cruelty. I didn't like that one, um, and I probably need to go back and revisit it because maybe I will actually really get more out of it, and that'll probably be really refreshing to go back and see that. No, um, and the other one was the remake of um, mm-hmm. the the Tom Hanks remake, Lady Killers. What was it? The Lady Killers. Lady Killers, yeah, I didn't like that one either. Mm, that was the only one. Even Intolerable Cruelty for me, I found it to be, uh, I found that actually to be uh, enjoyable. Like, I knew it was silly, I knew it was farcical. And the same with the Burner After Reading one. I felt a little bit kind of, when I first came out, it was a, when I first finished watching that film, I went, hang on a second, that was all about nothing. And then I came, watched it again, I went, yeah, this whole film is all about idiots, just, and it's about nothing. You know, that's kind of part of the joke with this thing. And, um, but I'm the same as you. Lady Killers was the only one that truly felt like it was a, a bad idea. I love this. We're here back with Jury, right? So everything in this film actually revolves... You're totally right. Everything revolves around Jury. And he is now squirming because he's got... The bank are trying to get details about serial numbers that he's used as capital for a big loan he's put down. So Jury's under pressure, right? And this is the thing I want to highlight with this film. How your characters react under pressure is vital to the kind of how how they display, how their true characteristic um manifests and uh it's it manifests in in, in you know in a huge way in that my best bit scene later on and uh jury jury doesn't jury doesn't handle pressure well let's just say that that's basically my point yeah he wouldn't be a marine <laughs> well who would look at that tv jeez yeah Paneling. I look. This is the scene. This is the scene. So we're right in the scene where Jory's plot. <laughs> she's going to be kidnapped. And we're <laughs> seventeen minutes in, and this is always. Uh, if you watch movies, the seventeen-minute mark between seventeen and twenty-one minutes is when the story kicks up a huge gear, uh, yeah. and like clockwork, 
it's happening here. So in future, whenever you're watching something, look at the clock for 17 minutes and you'll notice that something major happens in almost every well-constructed film. I love it. She just sits there and watches and doesn't react. Yeah, what would you do, though? I'd probably be the exact same. I'd probably be the same as, like, what is going on? What is going on? I'd probably be dressed like that as well. That's that's my riding gear. <laughs> do you knit as well, Kevin? Did you ever knit? No. My mum used to knit. I think it's a, it's a cool little s- skill. Yeah. I was but, in national school. There was a year where we were knitting in national school for one year, and I actually remember enjoying it. I suppose it's quite therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd love to be able to do it still. I fancy knitting myself some writer's mittens. Uh, that's a cool moment. Yeah. No. I mean, they're playing it straight. They're, I mean, they're incompetent, but they're, they're still playing it straight. Like, she is not playing this like she's in a comedy. She's playing this like it's a... Uh, she's Shelley Duvall in The Shining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the only the comedy kind of, like, is coming you get from it is those guys. The, just the, those guys. She she bit him like he's he, she's after biting him. So he's in looking for ointment. That's what's what he's doing. So the comedy is she bit him and he's like concerned about his hand, kind of after forgetting his he's mission. The psychopath. There. He's the, the real psychopath in the group. Yeah, yeah. He's the true psychopath. Absolutely. Look at this moment. That this is, is clever. That's clever though. Yeah. This is this is cinema yeah. with a capital C. Yeah. But the problem is, what? Watch what she does. This yeah, knocks happens. herself out, <laughs> and not just once in this film. It'll happen again. <laughs> oh, no problem. At least she survived that. It's a nice house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Peter Stormer put no effort into this. He just went, "Oh yeah, she's after knocking herself out, and it's handy." Oh, I'm really enjoying this. So here we come. Here's Jerry now in to see the the um. Is this the their daughter. best film? For me, it is. Yeah, for me, it is. Well, it's one of my favorite films. So yeah, it, it kind of has all of the all of the elements that I like. <laughs> see these decisions. He's looking for. He's got no place to sit. That's done deliberately as well. Did you ever see that moment in Thirty Rock where um <laughs> Alec Baldwin lays out the strategy of intimidating no. your uh. Uh, person that's coming in to see you and it has to do with giving them a chair that is uncomfortably low to the ground or going the nuclear option and having no chair at all so the person comes storming in and he's sitting down and they have to stand in front of him it's like they're putting on a show for him it's so clever and this is like oh very good yeah this is all um, mind games and what's happening here is poor jury is coming in expecting to get the money for the investment. He's going to lead the investment. And his father-in-law is not having any of that shit. He's just going to, he wants to just take over the whole project, the whole proposal, and give Jerry a little finder's fee. And, uh, and Jerry's going, uh-uh, uh-uh. They want to, they want to take this opportunity themselves and cut Jerry out of it, basically. The father-in-law is so a real Jerry, villain. He's a complete bastard. Yeah, he's a complete prick. We're not going to give you seven hundred fifty thousand. The heck were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, from one respect, it does make sense on their part that they would smell a rat here. 
Yeah. Yeah, because they're putting, they're they're doing all the risk. They're putting in all the money. And he's like saying, well, hang on a second. You want to be a lead investor on this without actually investing? That's that's their point. That's their point. It's like Dragon's Den. Only these guys are worse than dragons. I love the shot. The shot of the car in the car park. And it's like, oh, I just, I actually would love to frame the shot and um, hang it on my wall. I really would. You can do that. You just need to. I want to do that. <laughs> you just need to. I just want to hit pause. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm just going to hit pause. And I'm just going to just take my nail your laptop nail it to the to wall. The wall. <laughs> to the wall. <laughs> yeah, that's how Jerry would do it. There. Yeah. God, that's cool. Oh, so chill me down, movie. Chill me. <laughs> Are you leaning in closer to the screen now, Kevin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you watching this like with the fridge door open behind you? I'm sitting in the fridge. I love this moment coming up here where <laughs> where where um. I love this this acting moment. We've all been there. We've all been there. That's how I close my laptop after a Zoom meeting. <laughs> Great news. So and so is interested, but we're going to have to do some more work on the script. Work on the script. Like. The thing about it is, is Jerry has no choice but to just go back, you know, scraping the ice off his windshield. I don't know. I don't think I'd like to live there. I don't think I'd like to live. Uh, no, no, not in, not in Minnesota. Uh, too Which remote. Six too. foot snowdrifts. Yeah. There's lots of places in America though that is like that. I remember going to Las Vegas and Las Vegas just feeling really, um, alien. And like it shouldn't exist, okay? Because it's like desert, 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 desert skyscrapers. I want to point out something, Kevin. Just as we panned up there from the toilet to the window, right? We passed a little kind of like magazine rack, and the frontmost magazine, like right beside the toilet, was Playboy. And I always just went, "I well, no, there was no." I always wanted to know: was this? (laughs) I always wanted a Playboy. Was this some? (laughs) <laughs> I always felt I was a playboy or was it like is, is that a is that like you know is that a oh look I love this jur- I love this jury rehearsing how he's going to make the call to 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 wage the father-in-law that's fantastic that's how I start oh, every zoom meeting <laughs> all the pigs she's got a lot of ornamental pigs you know that it does actually of ornamental pigs. I don't trust people that have uh, porcelain dolls. I'm just looking around to see do I have any porcelain dolls? Do um headless Barbie dolls are they they're okay, aren't they? <laughs> it's just a That's piece fine. of plastic. That wouldn't creep you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I just I just can't stand those dead eyes looking at me, so I rip them <laughs> off as soon as I see them. They don't dream because they're just a piece of plastic. <laughs> so now um Steve Buscemi and um I can never remember it's Peter Storm can you pronounce it Storm Stormare Storm Stormare they're transporting 
um, Jerry's wife back to the, the hideout spot. Where were you in 1996? Sorry, you're, you're explaining that story. I was, uh, no, I'll tell you, I didn't see this film in the cinema because I was doing my leave insert. That's what I was. Oh. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, so I didn't see this in the cinema. I might have been so, doing my junior sort. I would have been doing my junior sort. Yeah. Well, it's only two years Given difference. I know. Yeah, now it doesn't make any difference. No, now it's like, I, I, as you get older, it, the, the, the ages tend to converge and it just feels like there is no difference. You're in the same decades. Oh, yeah, it's all the same bracket. references. It's only just like kids stuff where you slightly diverge a little bit. Yeah. What, um, this popped into my head today and because I heard you say it on some other podcasts. What gen are we? You know, there's the millennials, millennials. We're gen what? Are we gen Y's or gen Z's or gen X's or what are we? I'm a zenial. I think that's what you would be as well. So a zenial is the crossover between a Gen X and a Millennial, and it's anyone born between 1977 and 1983. So it's the, the time when the Star oh. Wars movies came out. So that little pocket right, yeah. is a Xennial. And, a um, yeah. And it just means that we got through school without having the internet as a, an oppressive sort of force in our lives. But as soon as we got into college, we all were the first adopters for emails and... Uh, you know, we had mobile phones and what have you. So we were young enough to absorb the internet into our lives as sort of like a, an extra appendage. But we grew up in a time before that. So we had a, we had, we're the last generation to have had a similar experience to every other generation in, in humanity, uh, pre-internet. Man. Uh, it's yeah. it's it's such a delineation. It is such a, oh, totally like, if you different. Look back in history. I don't want to. Uh, films are fun, remember. But um, being there at the dawn of the internet age was was thrilling. But also, it was it was fairly basic. <laughs> it really didn't like it didn't kind of like it wasn't until we had like smartphones and smart technology and stuff like that. But back then, it was like, oh my god, you can I can send an email to my brother but I, he's on dial up but I'll get into the college that might find a, a free computer and I'll send him an email to say that, he, that I'll be home I'll be home on the train tomorrow it was like sending fucking telegrams back in the day you used to have to arrange to meet somebody and mm -hmm. if they didn't show up within 10-15 minutes you just walk away you had no idea had that you missed them did they come oh my god that's a brutal shot um and Storm just that, blew the, the trooper's head off. Um, and yeah, and, and the trooper, I... The trooper were... Shut the fuck up. Gary Sinise. Not you. No, Gary the, Sinise. No, that wasn't Gary Sinise. Was it not? No, definitely it not. so much like Gary Sinise. Sorry. Gary Sinise sorry, was doing sorry, sorry. like snake eyes and stuff like that around this time. He was a big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember about a decade ago, my phone went dead before I was meeting up with a friend. And... Um, <laughs> I had no way of contacting him and letting him know that. So I had to just sort of like, it brought me right back to what it was like before we had uh, smartphones <clears throat> and just sort of like standing yeah. there waiting, thinking this is really disconcerting. I don't like this. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, and with geriatric uh, millennials geriatric. Is, a, is the new term, which is horrible, I think. But what was beautiful 
about and and this year in 96 when this film came out was pretty much the 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 dawn of popularized internet when it started to get into homes on a kind of a mass level and what i loved about growing up in that pre-internet era was that i experienced uh, the collective kind of like mass culture experience. You know, everyone watched the same TV shows at the same time and you could have the same conversations. We all, we all were a part of that one television community or movie yeah. community. And, um, everybody it felt, amazing. it, it felt this way for a long, long time. But in Ireland, especially, you could meet anyone from any other part of the country and you would all have the same hmm. experiences because you were all educated by the same. Christian Brothers or um, the convent. Uh, so it was the same curriculum. We had two channels, yeah. uh, two, two major radio stations that everyone would listen to. And the cinema was what was on. And the, that was it, really. It was like... Yeah. So... Every, the same music. Yeah, whatever. Same music. Everyone was sort of like... Oasis and... Yeah, we all felt like a, a big collective. And now it's... Everything yeah. is broken down into niches. Like I was mm-hmm. l- looking at the um, the trades recently, and w- a big TV show that's a hit at the moment. I won't mention it right now, but um, mm-hmm. it had an, a viewing figures of like eight hundred thousand, and that was considered huge. My Lord. And this has got a major movie star in the lead role, and Jesus, that that that's nothing. That's I remember. Um, it's nothing. Not even I used to, yeah, I used to watch Friends, and when Friends ended, they had like 50 million watching that. Mm. Could you imagine that nowadays? People would lose their minds. My God, it's incredible. Yeah, we're just it's just the way the world's changed. Where we are in the film is that this trooper's been shot, Steve Buscemi's tried to drag the body off the road, and this unfortunate passerby car came along, and <laughs> Peter Stormare, the true psychopath of this film, just just hopped into the driver's seat and tracked him down. And again, not through his skill, but by pure chance, the 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 the, the fleeing car crashes. Yeah. And they could have gotten away. It's not because he was good. It's just because he was lucky. And that's so, critical to this film, is that they're lucky and, in, and unlucky at different times. So you could completely structure this film from this moment on. You could start it here. Yeah, and because yeah, here you, we go. You'd introduce uh, Marge, and Marge, Marge has a coin to figure out, and you'd be in her shoes mm-hmm. throughout the whole of the story, because you'd be like, yeah. "Let's see how she cracks this." But they've got sort of a Colombo yeah. uh, structure. They've told us what the crime is. They've shown us who's perpetrated the crime, and now we're introducing, I guess, the antagonist, mm-hmm. and she is. And- behind the audience she's she, way behind the audience and uh it's amazing that it still works that it's still uh, compelling and engaging and that's just a credit to the performers the execution and the writing really but from a storytelling point of view you could lose that whole previous 30 minutes and start right here i'm so proud of you kevin that you said that she was the uh, antagonist because that <laughs> is absolutely right she's the antagonist of this film and what I, what I find delicious about this film, is that there are no character arcs, right? Only character revelations. That's the thing about this film. Is this true to life? So many and bloody screenwriting have, teachers these days have sort of destroyed screenwriting. 
by telling every writer that the characters need to have an arc. They don't need to have an arc. That's that's so many great movies don't have character arcs. And this is an example. Don't have to have it. Yeah, it's yeah. just uh, you join a character in a moment where something impactful happens in their life and you get to see how to navigate it. And it doesn't all need to be about choices that backfire and lead them to making leaps of faith. I think that can be really reductive and it sort of makes everything almost feel like a superhero movie. A superhero <laughs> origin movie. Written, everything I've written pretty much has been like that. That's <laughs> pretty much <laughs> got into this. Well, now we were talking about psychopaths, right? And our, this, we're, what we have now, we've all we've had up to this point are kind of despicable characters. And now we enter, we are presented with the coziest, warmest, most loving relationship between Marjorie Gunderson and her husband, who is played by John Carroll Lynch, who, who played is the absolutely terrifying <laughs> the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> Zodiac Killer, which, Kevin, you won't believe this. I just watched Zodiac last week for the first time since the cinema. Oh, it's a and great it is film. fucking amazing. I think it's my favourite David Fincher film. A lot of I people a lot of people think that uh, or feel that. I really loved it. I still it's, think that Seven is, is the more satisfying movie. Mm. But I love Zodiac. <laughs> I love Seven too, but Zodiac for me is... I love, the, I love everything about it. I love this here. Look, who would have this moment where she literally goes out to the car, we see her going out in the car and says, honey, I need a jump. <laughs> you know? How did and he have both of those texture. people in focus? Deacons. That was there was no split diopter there, was it? Long sh- the only thing I can imagine is a long lens. Look at that, that is so oppressively and, white. Yeah. Like the casting. Was a s- <laughs> <laughs> oh 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 <laughs> Zing got their ass. Uh, I am so but you know, it, fucking woke. <laughs> I uh, what I love about this film, and I think it's a great point, and I think tell me I love about the Coen Brothers films, is um, because I don't really like this film at all. Uh, That's another thing we should put on merch: is you saying what I love about this film. <laughs> well, this is the best best bits. Um, is is is, is there true. is there kind of balance their tone, their balance of tone, the dark. The truly dark and bleakness of the world. They do that better than than many. I think the the way that they're able to to balance true brutality, like a girl getting shot in the face, with this wholesome yeah. comedy, and how she how she delivers is funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, it looks like a defensive wound. I remember you watching know? the Oscars this year. Um, that this one was up, and all these moments. Just, I wonder how many nominations it got. I felt like it was nominated for a bunch. Or all, all oh, these yeah, it was, clips. It was screenplay, best directors. Yeah. Oh, do you know what the name of the editor, the the, the editing pseudonym they actually had was? It was uh, Roderick Senior Spielberg. Editor pseudonym. Ro- no, Roderick James was the name of their uh, their pseudonym. That's what it was. Thanks, IMDb. Appreciate it. You are welcome. That will be a click on an ad. Thank you. Ugh, right, click don't click ads. No, no, I'm clicking on this. I think I do. I met the person that created I am the stars of. Shut up. Yeah, did he came to a, a screening? IMDb. Yeah, he came to a screening of Grabbers. The, um. The. I guess it was the UKFC, the, the UK Film Council at the time. The BFI, no, I think. 
they all dovetailed and, and changed um, names and stuff. But they had a, a, a sort of a screening for benefactors of the BFI. And the film that they put on for the screening was Grabbers. And so he came and he was a lovely guy. Uh, and um, yeah. And oh, That's God, weird because I had to, uh, I had to, uh, Amanda, who um, uh, it was the head of the BFI. Uh, and I think Amanda Hogan Kiss? No, I think she's Dame Amanda. No, actually. God, what was her name? Okay. Amanda, Amanda something. Hogan Kiss? It's Amanda no. Hogan Kiss. <laughs> it wasn't Amanda Hogan Kiss. But she said, um, could you tell people a little bit about the film? And because we'd been on a bit of a sort of a circuit, us, the the, the, uh, the team that had made Grabbers, the director and the producers and myself, I looked towards them and I thought, oh no, I've said this so many times, they're going to be so bored of me saying it. And uh, Amanda said, well, once more for us, if you don't mind. And I felt really like, oh, that was so rude of me to, to sort of like... Immediately, just like, oh, so I'm not going to. Yeah, I've said this so much. It's so, it's such a boring story. And obviously, I completely forgot that she was here to, to, um, to show off. I think not show off. That's the wrong word. She was here to to show that the the BFI supports all kinds of films. And yeah, that's one of those memories that flashes in my head where I thought, like, why did you say that, you dumbass? You just seemed so ungrateful. And that wasn't at all what was what I intended I was just looking towards the director and producers and thinking I'm sorry guys I'm going to have to repeat myself again for the 10th time today uh, it's just so um, don't you just don't you just wish life came with an edit button oh yeah just like you know hit actually what I said there just uh, there's a movie in that that's a great idea nobody sealed that mm-hmm. Oh, okay, edit, edit, okay, I need to cut this. Yeah. It's basically uh, uh, Click. Call it the, uh, the do-over. Edit. Oh, yeah, Click, the Adam Sandler. No, Click, yeah, it's been done. Shit. So here we are, right? Where we are is Jerry now is in a diner, and he's telling his father-in-law that shit's gone down, that these guys are real, his wife's been kidnapped, and uh, they, they only want to deal with Jerry, but the father-in-law's not taking any of it. He's saying... But I love this. It's a brilliant performance by... Uh, this is my deal. William Hayes Macy. Gene is my wife yeah, here. Jesus. And he's, he's, trying, he's trying to put his foot down. But there's a second, right? He gives this... He's, he's looking down intensely into his fork. But he, he's always glancing up to his father-in-law just to try and read him. And it's like a little flick of the eye just to kind of read the father-in-law. It's brilliant acting. Brilliant, brilliant acting. Yeah, he plays it like a, he plays it like a kid, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, no way, wait. No way. And no one swears as well, and I love that. <laughs> Let's see if we can put out an episode with no swearing. Because all of our episodes have got explicit warnings now. <laughs> oh, terrible. We're terrible. Pure Irish. But, uh, you know, now that I've curtailed you in um, in that word that I don't like hearing. How was everything today? I'm not even sure what, what that word is. I'm going to leave it a mystery. Let the listeners tweet in what they think it is. It's cornflakes. Sorry, it's not cornflakes. It's strawberries. Strawberries, 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 strawberries. strawberries. <laughs> Look at that. We were talking about Xennials and behind them is North Xenia Park. My God, spooky. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We were meant to be watching this. I always wanted to 
and it still maintains. And I always wanted to get in a car and drive it across America, but I think I've, it would just be all this. I've had friends that have done it, and it's not that enjoyable. You'd have to you have to spend at least ten days um, because there's yeah. so such a lot of distance to cover where it's um, there's nothing around. So it's a it's a bit of a grueling trek. <laughs> I, lo- I want to point out another quirkiness about this, this household and this world. The kid has got an accordion beside him, and the band he's got on the inside of his bedroom door is a polka, the polka king. So a teenage kid, he is like big into polka. And again, it's these little... Ugh, horrible. Odd, yeah, it's just this kind of unusual thing, which is probably true and very specific. All I because the cornbread is in my head is thinking of uh, is John Candy and Home Alone going polka 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 king in the polka king in the Midwest. No, sorry. But aren't the Coen Brothers? I think they are from Minnesota. If I'm right in saying that, you're putting me in the spot. I have no idea. I think they are. I think they they are from now on. They are even if they were born in Hawaii. They are from the Midwest. You heard it here first, folks. So maybe he'll close the door. Maybe he won't. Okay, watch out for the polka poster on the inside of the door. There it is. Look. Jesus. <laughs> <That's my> accordion king. <laughs> oh, they're always finding a way to just find humor in a shot. That's it. Even if it's not in the dialogue, they'll find humor in the extremities or the, of the of the frame. That's good direction. Hmm. Good uh, uh, production design, I suppose, which is under direction of. It's a team effort. This is why a film by credit is uh, disingenuous. Yeah, I hate that. It's totally a team effort. She does it again. Look, she's she's running <laughs> off again. I just keep presenting is just cracking off watching her, the creator. I just laughed there and um, I noticed as I was like doing one of our previous commentaries, sort of like putting it out and listening back to it. Mm. I have this real scumbag, scutty little, you know, bratty kid in school laugh. Do you? <laughs> yeah. I think so anyway. At least you don't. You don't have my laugh, Kevin, at least that. You have an affectious I laugh. I try and sup- Oh, it's an irritating laugh. It's funny, I just like hearing your own voice. I hate the sound of my own laugh. Um, Jeez, you've got a great laugh. Uh, I just sort of sound like um, a little shit. <laughs> nah, nah. It's the Zodiac. Arrest him. Arrest him now. Oh, my God. Allegedly. Allegedly. No, it was so him. It was actually. If you look into um, the actual case, it was definitely that guy. Allegedly. Yeah. Alleged. It was so him. Allegedly. And I love in their relationship that their kind of primary d- discussion is about him and he and his paintings, and he wants to get his painting on a stamp. And he's in a competition and he's hoping he's going to get. And and also her work colleagues. It's not for, plot driven. Uh, question. Total, like, it's a character. Observational life so, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's life. It's life. He When he walks in, he's, he, the first thing the work colleague says is not, hey, such and such a thing happened to Don Brainerd. He says, hey there. Um, what's his name? It's Scott. not a walk he and says, talk. Uh, not a walk and talk. Absolutely. 
They're not. It's not exposition. It's not banter. Yeah. Yeah. At Lakeside Club. Oh God. Oh yeah, I remember these yeah. girls being all over the trailer. Oh yeah, funny yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of funny looking. Yeah, <laughs> go bears, <laughs> go bears. <sighs> I love their optimism as well. They have, the, but I suppose there's a kind of a, a kind of a weird creepiness to this kind of like um, layer of, uh, I suppose, op- optimism. Yeah, upbeatness. Everything is upbeat. Even the even crime, even death and murder. So you were having sex with the little fella? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of funny looking. It's a thing in LA. People don't tend to get self-deprecating uh, jokes. They sort of, um, they don't know how to take that. In my uh, experience. I I have. Oh, watch the screen here. You know when we're in the cabin now with the, with kidnappers. I, it comes on. The, watch the TV box. screen. A, the TV screen. Hopefully, when he finds it, when when he when it comes into play. There's a kind of a soap opera on the TV screen, and there's a cameo of an actor. Oh, I didn't realize she's sitting beside the oven until right now. That's how they were keeping it warm. She's sitting beside the oven. The actor on the TV screen. That's a lot of beer. Do you see him come in? Did you see who it was? No. It was it's very brief. Bruce Campbell. It was who? It's Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. Oh. That's probably got to yeah. be on IMDb. Bruce Campbell's got It is staunch fans. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. It's always on IMDb. What Bruce Campbell? What soap did Bruce Campbell do? I know that uh, the Coen Brothers. He was shot first. Yeah. Oh right, because they were all part of um, uh, a friend group where they had some, they had some hand in Evil Dead. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Oh, actually, Kevin, sorry. How <laughs> did I say it? The footage was not was not shot for this film. I'm reading from IMDb, uh, but it was actually old footage from the early from the early 1980s. Detroit produced soap opera called Generations, in which Campbell appeared. So it wasn't. It's an actual Bruce Campbell was in this old local soap, soap opera. opera. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the Zodiac. Jesus, that bed looks so small for the two of them. <laughs> You're hyper tonight. <laughs> it just does. That's. I think there's no support on those films. pillows. Those are terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and you can imagine lying that and just bars in your head. Mike Yanagita, that's his name. There we go. <laughs> that caused me some trouble. <laughs> so we talked about it. So Mike Yanagita rings in the middle of the night. Okay. So when this film came hey, out, hey I babe, said you it on up? the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's basically what it is. He saw it's her a on booty the TV call, and he's going, oh, "It's a booty call. That's what this is. It's a booty call." I'm down in Twin Cities. When this film came out, people... He's into into pregnant women. Yeah. People kind of really kind of poo-pooed the Mikey Yanagida subplot. As in, oh, it doesn't make a lick of sense. But like, it's like everything else in this film. It's an odd... It's an odd little ingredient 
to that actually is quite significant and will be quite significant as we watch it later on in the film. Yeah. And um, I'm just looking at that very, direction there where he put his arm over her with his wedding ring yeah. as that conversation was yeah. happening. That would have been yeah. something that they, they said for him to do. Absolutely. To sort of, I don't know, maybe to allude to the audience that she could be uh, considering breaking up this marriage. I don't know. No way. Not 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 at all. No. It's deliberately there for a reason to make you remember that they're uh, such a I think nice it's just I think it's just there to kind of go, well, she's married audience. This guy's calling her the middle night and you know, there's her husband. If you weren't aware, and, you know. <laughs> if you weren't aware, but I think they're that's their that's their bond. I think it's more of a kind of a reiteration of like, you know, they have this this very close bond. So I, I love these. I love it when Jerry gets put under pressure. So that's so now it's the bank calling back again to Jerry, and they're now starting to get really pissed off about. Oh no, sorry. So this is. Oh no, sorry. These are the. This is the. This is the Steve Buscemi calling. Sorry, sorry, sorry. My wife. That they're looking for. Um, they're looking for more money. That's basically what it is. I thought it was a bank calling. What the heck do you mean? Oh, jeez. What the heck are you talking about? We're already halfway through. So this is the midpoint. Mm-hmm. The midpoint. Hmm. Was the midpoint Mike Yanagita? No, it has to be, it's, it, it has to be jury, centered on jury, and this is it. It's like the midpoint is this, is that. Yeah, but the midpoint is where... Uh, you can never go I, back. I think so the midpoint's still coming up. Hmm. No, the midpoint's coming up, Kev. The midpoint's coming up when with the deal. That's what what the midpoint okay. is. Okay, coming up. We have, we're we're heading there, and the midpoint is clearly. Yeah. The, when, I've not seen this film in about fifteen years. Actually. Yeah, it's it's coming. That's what I feel. It's it's on the way in the next scene or so. And again, this doesn't have to, as you already pointed out. It, this is not exactly one of those films that adheres to the structure of of all the what is his name Robert McKee and all of those guys this film is fresh because it has its own structure its own riff on things as we just said there's no clear character I think it is sticking to a lot of the the sort of the um, the major turning points of the story you kind a part of me feels I always feel you're kind of in jury shoes a little bit you're in boat camps That is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge amount of food. That's a nice pub. I love that. That's like a Wetherspoons, that pub. <laughs> really? I've I've never been in a Wetherspoons. Yeah. Never been in a Wetherspoons. Well, they're all sort of repurposed pubs, aren't they? They tend to... Okay. Have their own style, but yeah, that reminds me of a, of a lot of Wetherspoons pubs. The person that runs those is a shithead, but the pubs are nice. Yeah. Um, Jesus, the size of the meals. It's unbelievable, isn't it? There's um, there's a restaurant near, not a restaurant, but it's a, a really top hotel near where we where we live here, and they do carvery like that. And oh my god. They do what like that? Pile your food up. They, they, Carvery, where you 
go up and you can get your food at a kind of cup with your tray and they serve you food onto your tray. If you serve you, serve you from a, a hot counter, if you know what I mean. Like oh, like school right dinners. <clears throat> yeah, but it's top class. Is that called carvery? Is that the, the term for that? I don't know that. Yeah, it's carvery, yeah. Yeah. And um might be completely wrong, but I believe that's it. But my God, it's kind of like that. You come down with one plate of food and it's just piled high and it's beautiful food, but you kind of want to die after it. <laughs> so you want to slit your stomach open and let the... <laughs> get the meat sweat. That's what it is, meat sweats. See, for me, great comedy is uh, born out of characters having a secret and trying to hold on to that secret. I love scenes where characters are lying and no matter what the uh, reason for lying, it's just that conceit where you know that they're... Uh, doing the best to sort of hold on to something and it's really it creates a nice frisson and so much fun I would apply that to all dramatic writing I think you know it's always for me it's always about characters characters lying? not lying but keeping their secrets you know kind of like keeping their secrets hidden because that's true to all of us we want to we want to keep our private stuff no but I, I mean like you you know that somebody has to do something in order to get something, and it, okay. it's like a it's, okay. it's a genuine like lie. Don't let them go in that room because they're gonna find X, and so it's yeah. all about trying to keep the person out of the room. That's the oh, stuff that okay. I think is like. That's good. I loved we even there's humor everywhere, and as even when she was checking in there, there was just like this. Five or six. It's because they're celebrating Fargo and they're celebrating Brainard. They, they just want to show off the Minnesota sort of characters. And they get away with it yeah. without it feeling like um, they're mocking anybody. There's a lot of affection. It's really wholesome. Yeah, it's, a, it's affectionate. No, I can find that. Yeah, well, thanks a bunch. Oh, say, say, would you happen to know a good place for lunch in the downtown area? Didn't the film get sued for that opening... Uh, title where it said that this is a true story where someone said oh, it was false advertising oh well I suppose that would happen yeah litigious happen. America yeah someone sued I don't know if they um, well I know they weren't successful but I don't know they sued for something outrageous <laughs> there's again it's these type of shots I love is the one the, the car park and him just kind of snaking through uh, the snow I, I, I it's kind of it's oddly sap- satisfying that's how I would describe it it's oddly satisfying to me and he just goes around and around <laughs> it's just like pick a spot park you're just getting to see how uh, neurotic he is <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then he parks in the weirdest weirdest place <laughs> it's great such a 90s car such an American 90s car Mm, yeah, you know, um, and um, no, the guy, the Jerry's wife, Jean's her name. She, the actress, I think Kirsten. I'm looking at IMDb. Kirsten uh, Rudrud is her name, and she was actually born in real life Fargo. Good for her. Hi, how you doing? Isn't that nuts? Yeah, I decided not to. Park Fucking nuts! <laughs> I love this. Well, love this. He looks like the Pete Doctor. He does. He does. Yeah, a little bit. You know, I'm 
Pete doctors, both of Pete doctors' parents are doctors in real life. Doctor, doctor. <laughs> That's true. That's an actual fact. And Pete, I think Pete doctor's name is Pete Henry Doctor, PhD. I'm not joking. There was a guy came into extra vision once and he didn't have his video card. And um, mm-hmm. he, so when they didn't have the video card, you'd have to search them on the system. And so I said, um, you know, what's your name? And he said, uh, Fitzpatrick. I said, what's your first name? Right. And he said, um, Paddy. And so I looked in and I goes, it's not coming up. And he goes, um, it might be under Patrick. And I looked down at the keyboard, started typing, and I looked up at him and I said, your name is Patrick Fitzpatrick. And he went, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And because he got, (laughs) because he reacted that way and was so taken aback and offended by me sort of confusedly going, your name's Patrick Fitzpatrick. Oh my God. I was in stitches. And and I thought he was going to leap over the counter and strangle me. Oh, and I was like, so, no, okay, sorry. Then. And I I had to like get his videotape and I could not <laughs> stop laughing. And it's the way where it's like, don't laugh. This is so wrong. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. And I just, it was like laughing in a funeral. I was in bits. And he was like, you're very smart, aren't you? And he grabbed the video and left. Oh, I had tears in my eyes. And oh, my God. <laughs> always remember that <laughs> oh Jesus Christ that's another one of those moments where you need that edit button you need that magic remote control <laughs> nah edit. I wouldn't change a thing about that it was it was worth it every second I had such a laugh uh, here we go this was your scene wasn't it so well this is the first time that oh, the they actually one. have two encounters right this is from this is the very first episode best screenwriter scene and you chose the converters. I and I chose uh, not the scene, but the one that's going to su- uh, follow this in a few minutes. So she's basically come in. She hasn't had a big lead. This is the, the point about this film is that she's only tracing a plate or something like that, and that letter to letter to this um, uh, car sales place. So she's jury's not on her radar. No, she's he's know, just a, a cooperating. A yeah. Not a witness, but he's like somebody... Well, yeah, he would be a cooperating witness. Yeah. He's not the subject of the investigation. Not even that... Exactly. Not even close to it. But look how squirmy and nervous he is. And um, and she's just asking, do you have any missing cars here? And he's going, no, ma'am. And what happens? She uh, she walks away. Yeah, and... So, okay, I think it's important to remember this. Yes. This is important. She leaves. She takes his word for it, and she leaves. Okay, so keep that in mind. No, Kevin. Yeah, because it, it, it plays into the reason for Mike Yanagita being in the story. Yes, yes, absolutely. Which I'll hold my hands up and say that in the original viewing of the film, of course I would have been about 17 when I got when I finally got to see this. I didn't watch it when it came out. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't get it. I was like, this is a, a long diversion from the the story and of course then years later it just clicked with me that she is was it because I told you is no. it because I told you Kevin <laughs> nope uh, come on <laughs> nah it was um yeah it's just she's taking people on face value and because this guy mm-hmm. was able to hoodwink her 
it makes her go back over other previous encounters where she thinks she's not looked deep enough. She should have noticed the clues. Mm-hmm. And that takes yeah. her back to uh, and, Joey. And the filmmaking itself is lays out Ophia in the grammar of the filmmaking when we get to it later on. And we'll, we'll, it, this is a scene that plants, this, where this doubt has already been planted and now she's going to see the deception in action. And I was the same as you, Kevin. But like, I'm the same as you with all my first viewings of the Comoros. I don't get it. I never get their films in the first viewing. I just know they've 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 done something unusual and unexpected, and not cookie cutter. And as a result, my brain is kind of fizzing because I'm like going, "What was that? That was unusual." And I can't even kind of like digest all the questions. But then when I go back and rewatch these films, all of a sudden there's a a delight in unraveling or coming up with my own answers. It's funny how the the the, the kind of the unusual fix things of it. It's funny how some films can work great on a first viewing. But if you go back and watch them a second time, they feel really slow because there's not enough sort of yeah. under the hood to sort of keep you interested. So you sort of like, just like, get on with it. This is such a drawn out story. But on the first viewing, because you didn't know where it was going, it worked. And then there are other films where once you know that it's not going to go down a path that you might anticipate or expect, you sort of relinquish uh, control to the filmmakers and you just go with the flow and it uh, Fargo is like that where it's a better second watch than the first watch and I love in the scene how she so politely and authoritatively put, gets him back in his seat she tries to slide in beside her and she goes no I prefer you back over there thank you I'm sure and then so many women have had to um, master that uh, negotiation maybe that's it yeah. And she says, oh, no, it's just so I can turn. I don't have to turn my leg. I'd like to be able to look at you straight on. People hated that uh, recent Wonder Woman film. And I don't I don't share the ire that people had. Um, and one of the things they thought was really odd was that Wonder Woman was constantly being hit on in parties on this sort of low level uh, sort of aggravating uh condition that men create for women like that where you're just politely sort of hitting on somebody but when everybody is doing it all night long you can see how um that would be really such a drain to have to go through the world in that sort of um condition all the time and i appreciated the film for that because it's like okay you're putting us in the shoes of someone who is constantly getting hit on and having to politely reject people all the time and I think that's what movies do great. They provide insight into uh, the experiences of other characters that you uh, may not have had in your own life. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. I don't. I actually don't um, remember. I saw it in the cinema Wonder Woman 84 and I truly don't remember. I was just euphoric to be able to back in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> I love... Mikey Anakita has basically given a whole pitch that his wife, his wife passed away, and now he's crying. He's sobbing. He's saying, "I'm so lonely," and it's um, <laughs> yes, and uh, it's convincing. It is. He's, he's a grifter. He's a grifter. He's yeah. an emotional vampire, and he's a bullshitter. Mm. But he's a great character. <laughs> Sometimes, great. absolute 
pricks are great characters. Yeah. Yeah. They're interesting to be in their company so that you don't actually have to be there in a company in real life. You get to experience it. They're a great looking couple, those two. Experience them. <laughs> have you seen Steve's latest? Match made in heaven. What's it? <laughs> They're going to get married, those Steve two. Lo- <laughs> Steve's complexion is what I would call chalky. I'll tell you like, what. He does look like a guy... I'll tell you what though he's one of the only people that I've seen that is pulling off a polo neck it suits him we were talking about polo necks in some other film recently god I don't know what one that was oh it was True Lies oh yeah yeah that's right (laughs) oh there we go it's focusing on who we want to focus on Lovely Steve. Where are the chesticles? <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, my he's God. completely naked. That is like... Uh, completely naked for that. That's like... Um, Eastern Promises. And he's kicking him in the balls. In blue. That's exactly what you want. <laughs> <laughs> my ideal attack scenario. Ball damage. Jesus. Oh, my God. And this guy is just a neighbor. This just got his guy who's not a neighbor, but like a. Front up the, the ass. Oh my god. Yeah. He pulls the, off his belt. The thing about watching this in Blu ray for the first time is that I got an unfortunate view of Steve Buscemi's uh, testicular area, which is. Um, oh my god. Oh my god. I have a pause. Let me give him a beating. <laughs> Screenshot. If I could have, if I could have one frame uh, to hang up on my on my wall, just nailing wall, the laptop. It would be Steve Buscemi's. Steve Buscemi's taint. Was it uh, taint or gooch or whatever? It's oh God, that's the word. That's the word. That's my my version of whatever your word is. Gooch. Ugh, that's horrible. That's it. Yeah. And Kevin, there's a, a retired, famous retired Kerry footballer whose name is Gooch Cooper. Like he's called the Gooch. <sighs> All right, Gooch. Like he's on whatever the match of the day or Sunday game on Sunday night. And there's Gooch. What do you think of this, Gooch? And every time they say it, I'm just going, oh, God. There was a newsreader in Ireland whose name was Avril Hoare. <laughs> and we had a lot of whores that lived down from my nan's house. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> There's a neighbour of mine, he's actually in an ad right now, and his name is um, Pat Gare. And we ne- all through secondary school, we never copped that his surname was Gare. And uh, never gave him any shit about it. It was just like, oh, that was just his name. Oh, my God, <laughs> lost opportunity there. <laughs> yeah, but he says, but I brought it up to him recently, and he says, oh, the guys in, the guys in college didn't miss the opportunity there. He had a hard time in, in college. People just gave him a lot of shit about his surname. No, <laughs> I mean, uh, Pat. <laughs> Imagine being called Pat. My God. <laughs> Sorry to all the Pats out there. I love. Where's me Pat. post, Pat? Pat? For a day. <laughs> Bring me me bread, Pat the baker. Here we have to get back to the film. A critical thing's happened here. 
And what's happened is that the father-in-law has taken control of this deal who was only who was supposed to be jury and he's gone to this roof and to meet Steve Buscemi and Steve is going, who the fuck are you? Where's jury? I gave simple fucking instructions. And that's where Wade knows Jerry is a wrong one. And also, Wade has got his own. Here we go. Oh, didn't see that coming. Jesus Christ. Yeah, the criminals act impulsively. Yeah. They don't. They don't have a plan. Here we they go. Don't, they don't have like a. This is a great scene. There, oh, Jesus Christ. So this episode's explicit. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Just crossed the line. Oh, wow. Waste of bullets. I don't know if you're the same as me, Kevin, but like, as I've gotten older... <laughs> no, I, I'm still I, so fucking be- young. <laughs> as I've gotten more middle-aged, I definitely have become more... What's the word? Sympathetic to human life in films, right? Like it's not just <laughs> before that you were a misanthrope. Cool anymore. Before that, I was just like, yeah, kill. True lies, kill ninety people. Grand. But now, when someone gets killed, I'm like going, oh god. Like in there, I hate violence. I suppose that's a good thing. I hate seeing people killed. I love it. When he is a prick, like I love it. Kill them all. I I love. I love the way Jerry's dressed with the hood up and he looks again he looks like a kid as you described her he's like he's like a child going to he's school he's like a toddler bus, you know he's like a toddler yeah oh gee oh gee oh gee <sighs> oh yeah this guy doesn't have a good end oh my god look at all that blood I'm just getting lost in the film. <laughs> mm, I love it. Um, so do you love this film? Absolutely love it. <laughs> I, I don't think I've said it yet. And I think I kept it as a secret. But it is, yeah, it's up there for me. <laughs> that is that. such a great cut. Or just a, a great yeah. way to button that scene. Just uh, pop in the yeah. boot. Just like, gung. and, and it, doesn't, that, doesn't that say so much about his character? Like here we go with this. Oh, in that oh. act of popping the oh jeez, in, in the act of popping the boot, we he said he there was no dialogue. He just went and we just he's already going. Okay, how am we going to clean up this mess? Yeah, you know he's he's not he's he, he's in this he's in this deep and he's just going deeper and deeper. He's not even going over to check to see if he's alive. He just went to pop the boot. I'm going to dump him someplace. It's just a funny sort of way to end that scene to keep it going. Yeah. Where's his son? Yeah. Oh, there he is. Just as I said it. No, he's he's in he's in the bedroom. Yeah, he's in the bedroom. Stan Grossman called. You okay? Oh God! Okay. You see, just Jerry. Just the net is getting tighter around Jerry all the time. Yeah. So yeah, Jerry's the protagonist of this film, and what arc does he go on? He doesn't. Well. And there's only twenty minutes to go. I mean, this film is just flying by. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, betcha. <laughs> ugly, ugly. 
Kevin, what other... Can you name two Will. other films that were presented as true stories, but which weren't true stories? What other very famous films? JFK. <laughs> Will Paxton did it. <laughs> and I'll That's give you true. A clue. I've proven it to you, you know. You've proven it to Bill me. Bill Paxton Actually, was there at the JFK. Uh, he showed me the picture and... Well, Bill Paxton kills JFK. Shot JFK. Bill Paxton turned up at... Uh, he was there for J... Oh, no. <laughs> Forget it. Um, I remember this guy at the Oscars. The clips. For some reason... Yeah. For some reason... I have a vivid memory of watching... The, the Oscars, the year that Fargo was up for all the awards. That's when the Oscars were fun to watch. Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I would have watched them all those days as well. Um, He's got to be a was, real guy. Oh, the two films. Say again? I asked you a question. I asked you a trivia question and I'm going to have to give the answer. The two two other films that were presented as true stories in inverted commas when they were first presented, like you know when they were first released, were uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Blair Witch Project. Oh, I should have gotten that actually, but I was in. Mm, <laughs> How can I troll you? Uh, yeah, and neither are true. Yep, there you go. <laughs> very very loosely based on no on on. That Texas Chainsaw Man. Those are two films which did scare the bejesus out of me. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. That was banned over here for years. I only saw it when it kind of was finally unbanned. Was it early 2000s, late 90s? It would have been. I I took it home because it was this mythic film and I was working at Extravision, so it uh, it would have been early 2000s. Extravision being like the a video store uh, chain, like Blockbuster, and um, Blockbuster. Mm. and I watched it during the daytime, and it still ravaged my nerves. I had to. There's only been a few films where I've had to stop the film <laughs> and sort of settle myself. I'm like, oh Jesus, Jesus, I can't do this. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Oh fuck it, play. No, stop. Hang on. I'll make a cup of tea. Make a cup of tea, and I, I can, I can get through this. And I just kept sort of having to stop. It was so harrowing. No, I can sit and watch anything. I watched it with. I watched it with uh, when I was in college with a friend of mine, Henrik, and Kevin as well. Henrik is a Dane. He's uh, six foot four, right? And uh, by the end of the film, we watched it like late at night, and um, and (laughs) I remember him. He had all these knives in his kitchen, (laughs) like you know, proper like you know. (laughs) Carving knives, and at the end of the film, when the film ended, like I was freaking out. I was not freaking out, but I was like going, "Jesus Christ, that was absolutely harrowing." The six foot four guy, with the lights were all down, came out of the kitchen with a knife running at me. Like I just went going and like a manic face, and I never forget how terrified it was. I was like, "Just get the fuck away from me!" <laughs> oh my god, I can still see him right now. I can still see it right now. Oh my god, it was terrible. Naked. Running at you with a knife. (laughs) (laughs) Fully erect. (laughs) With a knife strapped to it. (laughs) Knife strapped. How did that big fan of seven Asian uh, lady? And on it, she must have had some sort of 
uh, issues beyond common sense to watch this film and think. Tell, tell that story. Tell the story. Yeah, go on. What was the story? People don't. People might know it, Kevin. There's an Asian woman that watched the film, saw that it opens with that title card that says, this is based on a true story. Figured out the spot where she thought, based on the location that, that they shot the scene, that the real suitcase must be buried along there. And so she went along uh, in the dead of winter and started digging all along the fence posts, fence posts looking oh my God. for the buried money and froze to death. Mm, my God. And you know, the ironic thing about it was when they shot those scenes, there was no snow. So a lot most it was artificial snow. And I think they actually made a movie of that. No way. I they know. did. Wow. They absolutely did. And it was just recently in the last few years. So we're at marriage, right? She's just about to leave. Uh, Fargo, I think that's where she is, and and she's talking to her to someone back at the base. And she said, "I met Mikey Yanagida," and her friend is saying, "No, no, no." It's just, it's just, she's saying, "Isn't it sad about his wife Linda dying of leukemia?" And her friend is going, "No, Linda's fine." Since they they never married, you know, Linda's got is married with kids, and now she's we caught. To her back in the patrol car. So we go straight from her having that real revelation. She gets some food. She needs some snacks. This is all in the script, by the way. All these moments are in the script. She's having her snacks. She should be leaving. That's the plan. She was going to leave. But now we're with her. We're in her head. And in my head, she's thinking, what will I do? Hang on a second. I can't believe. She's kind of shocked by Mikey Yanagida. And Jury's in the back of her head. You can actually see her frow burring and where does she go to where does she go to instead of going back home where she's supposed to go she walks right back into jerry's office because he was fucking suspicious that mikey yanagida was fucking suspicious and she now is just following up on her instincts and she's going marching back into his office and this is the scene i picked from my best screenwriter scene and i love it i think it's an amazing scene and I love for writing. And that film that was based on the true story uh, of the Japanese woman who went to find the suitcase was called Kumiko, the treasure hunter. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Came out in 2015. Oh, my Lord. But this is a great scene. And I love what you said on that episode. Um, go back and... and uh, no, don't go back. Don't listen to the first episode. <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> Skip the first three or four. We make all our mistakes in those episodes. <laughs> Come in on chase scenes. Come in on chase scenes. That's, I think, is a, a good one. So, there, I did love what you said, though. Well, I can't remember what I said. It's <laughs> But all I know is that I, from the script, there's... You said that you love this film. Oh, I I haven't said that. I've, I'm so glad you brought it up because I forgot to bring that up. Did I have I told anyone? I probably haven't said already, but I do love this film. If I could marry it, I would. I love the voice crack. Mm-hmm. I'm cooperating here. Can't do it. And I think the Coen brothers even said, "How the hell did he do that? How was he able to have that nervous crack in his voice? It was just genius." It's, there are some, there are an ADR moments, right? So they talk about 
actors talk about how you don't deviate from the Coen Brothers scripts. But if you read this scene and the script, okay, she's not, they, she stands up, which is an acting choice by Frances McDormand. And it really, when she stands up, she really changes her tone. She's like going, it's authoritative. And, and it's her putting her foot down and saying, no, I want you to do a car count, Mr. Lundegaard. And he has a mini tantrum. That's what it is. He has a tantrum. Uh, and also in the original, yeah, in the original script, they um, had it that he goes out right now. And in the original script, she calls uh, back to base, right? She rings back to base and she actually gets information that kind of raises her suspicions about Jerry Lundegaard, right? Which I think what they ended up doing is far more effective because in in the in that script, as I say, she's on the phone right now talking to her buddy and she's kind of going, hang on a second. She's basically kind of saying what she thinks. And um, instead, we get the comedic reveal of what actually happens. All Jerry has to go do is go out and do a car count and come back in and just bullshit his way around it. Well, I think she's onto um, him at this stage because of her Mike Yanagida experience. She's she's onto him. She's definitely onto him. But what we would lose, what we what we lo- what we were losing, lacking in the screenplay, we get this moment, the reveal for the audience of him just driving off, is what we get. Yeah. Uh, in in the script, you don't have that moment. In the in the film, you have the comedy and you have horror going. He's fleeing the interview. He's fleeing the interview. Yeah. And now she picks up the phone. Now she's picking up. Because we're in the last like fifteen minutes of the film, so I suppose they wanted to um yeah. kick it up a level. Hmm. It's great, though, when a script can be improved upon in the production, because oftentimes you're getting an approximation and it's, you're basically, you have the the best efforts of everybody under the circumstances to make something which was beyond their grasp. And that is the majority of movies. Mm -hmm. So it's really rare when, and I guess it has to do with the fact that they're directing their own material, so they know it inside out and they know exactly how to execute it. Mm-hmm. But usually the best films come about when the director is as good of a writer as they are a director and they are in complete control of the material. Then there was a real... He killed her. Yeah. I've forgotten this. And we don't even see it. Yeah. I had we totally forgotten it. that he killed her. Oh, because the wood chipper. And like, well, the wood chipper will come into play in a while. He's, it's, stuff's going to go down right now, yeah. right? Because he, Steve Buscemi thinks he's after making an absolute mint because in the, he, they were only, the deal for them was only supposed to be 80 grand or something like that, right? And they were supposed to get 80 grand. And he looked in the bag, he got the bag, and the bag had like a million in it, and he's going, oh my god. So he's buried the bag of the money, he's come back to Peter Stormare and said, here's your cut, here's your 80, or here's your 40. And and now they're arguing about the car. Steve Buscemi is saying, I'm taking the car. He's so greedy that he's... He's, he wants to care. And guess, look where it gets him. This greed. Look where it gets him. <laughs> he already has almost, you know, hundreds of thousands buried just a few miles down the road. <laughs> he just wants that extra thing. Yeah. 
I, uh, I have no memory of how this ends now. I'm just realising as I'm watching it. Oh, good. I've forgotten it. Good, good, good. And I've seen this film maybe so three or four times. Watch out now. Watch, watch. This is terrifying. <laughs> this is terrifying. Watch this. Uh, watch this. Watch this. Uh, this is like, that's, that to me is kind of Texas Chainsaw stuff, actually, there. It is. That uh, absolutely is. And we're coming pretty much up to the end of the film. We're not with Marge's on the trail. And, um. Yeah, there's only 10 minutes left. Yeah. Not even. On the trail. Yeah. Sorry, didn't copy, Lou. Three Oscars. Is that what it was? There are. Uh, that's what, what she's won. She's won three Oscars. Oh, sorry. She is. Okay. Okay. There aren't that many that have won three Oscars. You've got Daniel Day Lewis. Jack Nicholson, Catherine Hepburn won four. She's the the most decorated. Meryl Streep's won three. She's only won three. I know she's been nominated like twenty times or something like that. Jesus, I can't believe she's only won three. She's lost so many. So many times. <laughs> Such a loser. I know. I know what it feels like to to be to be an Oscar loser. Break, break, break. <laughs> and now, again, Marge's detective work. What's brought her to this point? It's complex. Luck. It's not a bit of absolute luck, but like there's a little bit of competency, a little bit of she's followed her instinct and she's she's reaped the rewards from it, like, you know? And um, there's, a, there's a problem though with the film. It should end with her in the labor uh, ward. Screaming as she's giving birth to the baby, sort of like ah, and and everybody is standing around and sort of saying push, and they they take receipt of the baby, and he says the husband says what are we going to call it, hon, and she goes I'm thinking Lundegaard, and then you end the movie on that. That would be just a, that's what you exactly. want. You want. You want a real rousing sort of like happy ending. Well, Kevin, I think Fargo is due for, don't mind the TV series, it's due for a cinematic remake and you have won my pitch. So <laughs> I'm going to award you. Now, this is fairly gross. Nail points. Isn't it? It is gross. <laughs> this is based on real life. Have you seen the first two series of the, the TV show? though? I have, and I really like them. Yeah. The second series more than the first series. Same here. This, uh, I spoke about, and this is this is something that did happen. That there was some guy got rid of a body using a wood chipper. And like, how would you get rid of a body? Oh, wait till you find out, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to spoil the surprise. <laughs> I like the uh, symmetry of this. Him running away in snow. And now it's going to happen to him. Yeah. What he did to that poor couple. Yeah. yeah. It's very similar to how he died in The Lost World. Jurassic Park. Oh... How did he die in the last war? Was he not eaten by a dinosaur? Yeah, compies. Oh, com- Comsognathius. 
imagine there's some trivia. Um, Consognathius. Possibly. You know how I know that? My son uh, was big into dinosaurs. And um, he still is into dinosaurs. And we, I learned all about dinosaurs. And it's, it was kind of cool learning about all the different species. Wow. Mm-hmm. Consognathius. What you call me? So here we are. This is for me, right? <laughs> Not quite the end, but... For me, this is, this is, this is, for me, this for me reminds me of Seven a little bit, but she literally gives one of the kind of the, the, the main moral message of the film. She, the, the, the Coen brothers lay it out in her dialogue here. And he said, and she says like, and for what? This is for a little bit of money. The whole thing was just for greed. And she said, and, and she's saying, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. And there's more to life than a little bit of money. And that's the whole point of this film. There's more to life than money. And it's contrasted. I'd never, I'd never thought of that until. (laughs) But that's why I think their film, their films are like old, Old Testament fables. Like they're, they don't have character acts. God intervenes in various ways. Like, you know, and characters are kind of just put through the ringer. And, um, and we see them react to, um, to what, uh, to, to what, uh, the gods decide to to instill upon them. So good. I don't know. It's not- and it's ending in a similar way to how it began with the I just don't that road. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of scenes left. There's not. We're not totally done. There's a couple of. Satisfying scenes, that's what I would say. Oh, that's slow motion, actually. Where she gives birth. <laughs> the director's cut. <laughs> the extended cut of Fargo. <laughs> oh, God. Was she actually pregnant? Or was this a character it's choice? A character thing. No, she's definitely not pregnant. Uh, oh, that, see that um, a snowplow going by? Was not mm-hmm. supposed to be there. They um they had blocked off the road. They had police blocked off the road, and this guy just completely ignored them. And that's them chasing them. <laughs> it's so true. It didn't actually happen. <laughs> so and here's the satisfying conclusion. Are you serious? Yeah, no, that actually truly happened. That snowplow was not was not loud through, and it just drove through the barricades. It just went on plowing the road, <laughs> and it just worked for the shot. Um, this is the my I love this satisfying conclusion to Jerry Lundegaard's character arc, right? Or lack of. He is now in a corner. He's naked, almost naked, trying to squirm, and he screams right here. It's like his wife. It's like his wife trying to escape. Yes. And what has his arc been? He's he's just been revealed. He hasn't had an arc. He's been... His true self has been revealed. The message of the movie... Is crime doesn't pay kids, and this is the true ending of the film. This is the the lovely, and you actually talked about it lovely in the first episode. So, hey kids, go back and listen to episode one where we talk about this film, <laughs> and we're back into that lovely. Where I sound like this, and the episode where I talk like this in front of box, <laughs> and we didn't swear, and we were trying to be professional, but it, we're in this lovely, cozy, warm space. With uh, Marge Gunderson and her serial killer husband, <laughs> the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> but her concern is about the about the the competition. He's saying, oh, "I got the tree, I got the tree scent," and her last line here is like, "I love it." It's like 
You know, it's all about the little ones. It's all about the little steps, you know. Again, it's kind of refocusing. It's all about the little steps, she says. Oh, I love it. I don't know if I've said it, Kevin, but, you know, I do love this one. <laughs> I'll do a super cut. I bet you've said it about a hundred times. <laughs> I'm so pretty and norm. Of course, he's a, these are such normies. He'd have to be called Norm. They actually told the cast, like, it wasn't until the cast were well into shooting that they revealed to him it wasn't a true story. The whole cast thought this was a true story when they were shooting it. Oh, my God. Two more months. And again, we are, leave, we are leaving this optimistic note. Like, we've had this really bleak story of this awful, despicable character trying to you know, get money and directed by Joel. Yeah, that was back in the day when they couldn't. And spin. written by Ethan and Joel. So we'll see the credits. That was great. And that flew by. Yeah. Wait for the editing uh, credits. Let's, I'm just curious to see who's for this. Tim Bevan, Eric Fellner, Brits from Working Tile, John Cameron. Or are they? Roger Deakins, legend. Yeah, Working Tile. Rick Hendricks, production designer. Put the put the Playboy magazine in the toilet scene. Oh, I forgot to mention the music. I love the music for this film. See, film editor, Roderick Jaynes, an associate editor, Trisha Cook. So the film editors were the Combers. John Lines, good man, John. Fair play to them. It's a great film. So, <laughs> we're coming to the end of another audio commentary, Kevin. And I think... We have. We were, I think we're well enough behaved on this one. Oh, here we go. Look, victim in field? Is the symbol. Prince. It's it's not. That's what I I don't think it was Prince. What does that mean? They did put it in there, but that was the symbol for Prince. And um, oh golly, what was the story behind it? Like it was the victim in the field oh. was the guy who was shot. We saw the guy being shot. Clearly shot. Saw the big guy being shot. But it, I remember. It, and as a joke, they put in the Prince. I think symbol? it was just a joke. I just think they just put it in as a kind of a, uh, a an odd an odd joke. No, I might be completely wrong. Everybody. Go Google. quickly and Google that. Now, what's the the whole story behind the um, the print symbol? The print symbol for the victim. Uh, I'm in the snow. I'm frustratingly on IMDb, trying to see if someone has it covered. And I know they have some sort of entry here about it. God damn it! But listen, yeah, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed watching that film again on Blu-ray. How was it for you, Kevin? It was refreshingly cool. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> um, how are you no, feeling? It's a really, really good film. Yeah, it's good. It's a good film. Uh, uh, Prince. Symbol. God damn you, I'm doing the same thing. Fargle. <laughs> Both doing the same thing. Anderson received credit for appearing in Fargo as victim in field. Instead of his name being used, he was credited with the symbol for the artist formerly known as Prince, which was turned on its side with a smiley face drawn in the circle. J. Todd Anderson was the actual actor. He's a storyboard artist. So it was one of the crew. There we go. Because, yeah, it was that guy. We saw him clearly been driving by and we could see his, his face as clear as day. I love that film and I wish more films like it were made and um, yeah last 30 seconds I'm not too bad this has been a very fleet audio commentary well maybe I would like to give my final thoughts and 
I think mm, I'm going to downgrade this film. It's only okay. I'm not that bothered about it. No. <laughs> I'm deeply passionate about this film. It's inspirational. I love it. And I just want to thank everyone for sitting through this and listening to us as we babbled our way through Fargo. And it was um, for me and Kevin. I'm going to close this out and say goodbye and come back again. You can surely, surely, whatever he says. <laughs> See ya. Good luck. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode plus 100 more are available on their Patreon. Mini bits. Another new episode. Of this Patreon podcast. Exclusive. The best bits podcast with Will and Kevin, how are you? Hi, honey. How are you? Oh, you know, I've got this. I've got my corn sorted out. I went to the shop this the other day, and uh, she Your said, "Corn, uh, my corns." Did you, ever get, did you ever get corns? No. Did you know what a corn is? Yeah, it's a bunion on your foot, isn't it? Yeah, like in between your toes and stuff like that. Do you, do you not wear any shoes like around the house? You walk no, barefoot. I, I, I wear no. It's the opposite. GA shorts. It's the opposite. I wear incredibly tight shoes. Like those Chinese women oh. who get their feet bound, who had their feet bound, like, you know, before the turn of this yeah. last century. And so they had incredible corns and bunions. This is a great opener for a mini bits episode where we get people disgusted. Squally, it's episode 73 of the mini bits. <laughs> I'm Kevin, you're Will. This is yeah. our Patreon podcast. Thank you to all our lovely patrons. Yeah. A few of you have jumped in recently. I don't know what we said. We try to goad people into joining up every single episode and then every so often it's like a lot of people join because of one specific episode and yeah. I'm like what did we how did we say it what did we say on that episode that's different <laughs> to the other 270 episodes maybe it didn't sound as desperate maybe we said don't jo-. maybe reverse psychology that's how we should do it reverse psychology don't join up to our patron don't it's <laughs> You don't des- Everybody cancel. You, you don't deserve to be in this group. We don't want you. We don't we like don't the look need of you. you. We don't. We don't need anybody. <laughs> it's just us. It's absolutely just us. Hey, should we tell people we we did? I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't say it on mic, especially so early. We did an interview with the Irish Examiner last Friday. We did. Yeah. And uh, how do you think yeah. I? How do you think I did? I, I I think you did all right. Like you didn't interrupt me once. So I was <laughs> delighted with how I came across. But, you know, there's no sort of time limit on this. We don't know when it's going to get posted. One of our friends was saying, Kathy at the cinema was saying that their interview with, did they do the examiner as well? It was six uh, months yeah. before it posted. And, and the Guardian, I'm pretty sure. They were, they were profiled in the Guardian as well. 
Yeah. But we don't do any really promotion. Like nah. we don't do anything. Well, this is our first time getting any sort of like proper coverage, which is going to be mad. So um, uh, listen to all you listeners who have uh, found us before we explode. You're, 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 you're an OG. Bust. You're an OG <laughs> listener before Kevin starts getting gold chains from all his Patreon dash. I think I'm more of a silver than a gold. I think oh, yeah. my uh, undertones suit more silver. But, uh, yeah. I just want to die. Those I, are my Prince Albert. Uh, <laughs> your hat? <laughs> yeah. I want Speaking of, of the, which. I want one of those diamond studs in my tooth. That's all I want. So I can go bing whenever I'm on a call. Oh, uh, yeah. Bing. I usually just, you know, wink and like glints. Yeah. Like starlight twinkle. <laughs> Speaking of which, I interrupted you. What, what, we, what, did, what did you want to speak of? Which? Start the timer. Oh, I forgot. You may as well. Start the timer. They, all, all these lucky losers are listening in and, and they're wondering, what are we going to be talking about? But we have to start talking about them after Yeah, we, we say goodbye. But look, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, you've seen a few things. You've seen the new Godzilla film. Yes. I've seen the first Omen. Uh, I saw Scoop as well. That, oh, uh, we're looking Netflix forward to watching thing. that. We already see, okay. Okay, I'll save my thoughts. And right. um, what else did I see? I made notes, but sure, you it doesn't really matter. I think I saw it. And I was going to go through all the summer releases and see what oh, takes your fancy. Okay, okay. I'm looking forward because I don't actually know what's what's on the horizon. So, um, I'm well, the Joker Two trailer came out today. I saw it. Yes, I watched that. Hmm. It reminded me of Chicago. Yeah, it's kind of like you see it's all very much in the mind's eye. It, they're calling it a jukebox musical. Am I right in saying that? I think you're right in saying that. So, look, hey, listen. Uh, I actually, what it, what it did remind me of <laughs> was that I want to watch, rewatch The Joker because I saw it in the cinema and I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It was kind of a bold new direction. Uh, I'm just going to go back and watch the episodes from the Batman 66 show. The Joker episodes. Oh yeah, that's going to be just to fill me in, like on the lore, you know, get up to speed, get you right up to speed. <laughs> and you'll be there going, where, where are all the guys in the purple suits with the masks? Where, when are they going to show up? And like, it's you know, a weird time though, where we have the Penguin TV show with Colin Farrell coming out, which is a totally different canon version of the Penguin. Then you have this offshoot of Joker, which isn't. Its own universe entirely. Mm. And then you have the old Batman films that you can watch. Right. And, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just, I don't know. I'm kind There's of so many IP. But like it's this, just everywhere. What, well, what's happened is the world, the comic book world has very much entered the, the film world. It's where you could have different runs, totally different runs of a character by it's different insane. authors. And there would be totally different riffs on it and stuff. Oh, oh this is the thing. Kevin, so I'm only catching up on this. You mentioned it to me on a on a pod, on a podcast. What was it on one of those? Uh, it was the last. Show? It was the last mini bits. Uh, you, you said everyone's describing stuff as insane recently. And have you started noticing it though? Only, only, only with people trying to raise you. That's the only type, only where place where I've noticed people. No, people under sort of trying to every, raise you. Oh my god! Oh my god! I could start posting though, like, um, tweets, comments, TikToks. Uh, articles, anything insane is everywhere. This is insane. That's insane. It's insane. There was a festival just going on about this insane lineup. I was okay. like, oh, it's a mentally ill lineup. Okay, <laughs> it's just it's it's everywhere. 
And the other, do you know the other thing that's also bothering me lately? Wow. wow. And this has been bothering me for years and years and years. It used to be that everyone used to misspell definitely. They'd go defiantly. Okay. Or it's defiantly whatever. They were just, they were morons. But no, I just keep noticing everyone keeps spelling a lot as one word. A-L-O-T. A lot. Where has, where have they gotten into their heads that a lot is one word? It's the same way that people will write every time as one word. What's the one that you've, you've pulled me up on a few times and I can't get it right? Compliment. Compliment. I can't, <laughs> but I can't get it right. It's like the I. Because I told you the other day. Yeah. And I went searching for it and I couldn't find it because I had to actually had to an, use it. If there's an I in compliment, it's yeah. I'm paying you. Oh, a compliment. That's a good way to remember it. Okay, good. And then compliment. I, I wrote that too, yeah. But you did. And I went to try and find it because I was I found myself writing the word compliments. And I went, shit, Kevin. But, I, but you, you gave me a thumbs up, which meant in my world that, yeah, I read that. Thanks. But I did, right? I'm talking about a couple of days later when I was faced with the exact same hurdle of writing the word compliment. I went, okay, what did Kevin say again about compliment? There's an I and the E. What did he say? So I went searching for it and I found it, I think. And I went, oh, the I is paying me a compliment or I'm giving you it's a compliment. It's insane how little you can retain information. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, let's start talking about what we watched. Come on. Did you start the timer? Yeah, it's it's gone. It's ticking. It's ticking down. The world's going oh, to explode. You know, I have to put in the sound effect. I have to. I have to line oh. up all my sound effects. When you said start I the have timer, like, I have a whole it's... fucking. I have a whole soundboard. Here. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Where's my fucking? What? Where's my ding dang ding? Here we go. The timer has started. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Right.